Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, July 31st, 2023, the 922nd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, before we get into the news of the weekend and the news of today, I want to discuss one more reaction that I got a few times to the conversations I was having last week. Now, if you listened to the show last week, you'll know that 
I was discussing how important it is to question the content of our own beliefs and examine the evidentiary bases for believing what we believe, because there are a whole lot of things out there that we believe for bad reasons, reasons upon which we have rejected entire bodies of information that at one time represented publicly accepted knowledge. Many of us have learned over the last few years that the government is far more corrupt than we ever knew, and it affects us in ways we could have never anticipated. We settle into ideas like all politicians are this way, and it will always be a choice between the lesser of two evils, and we will never actually get good government. And we all accepted that. We found out that our science community and our public health community and our hospitals and our universities were lying to us and participating in something that at bottom is truly evil. We've watched a government collude with social media to censor us, collude with mainstream media to propagandize us. We've watched all of them call us domestic terrorists telling the big lie. And though all of that seems really obvious to everyone listening to this show, and to me, by the way, because it wasn't always obvious to me, there are a lot of people out there who don't understand that or who are going to deny it because they don't want to change their beliefs about a whole range of topics. There are even people out there who have woken up to most of this stuff, but then can't reach the next level. They can't take the Trump pill, for instance. Like they know the government and the medical community and pharma all colluded to exploit the citizens of the world throughout COVID and then the vaccine period. But they don't believe those same groups would collude with other groups to steal an American election. They find a place where they draw the line and they say, yes, I know these bad people would do all of these things, but they could never do X, Y, Z. They don't know why they believe that. They can't support the reasons for where they draw that line. But they just know this other thing can't be any other way than the way they've already understood it. And the problem with this is that it's just another variation of the people who are still asleep. So if a person can be awake to mostly everything, and still not be on the America first side of things, the Trump side of things. They'll still talk about how bad Donald Trump is and he's impolite and he's rude and he's mean and he's got an ego and he's a narcissist and he's actually as dumb as the media says. He's actually as incompetent as the media says. They think I have the set of correct beliefs now. I've gone far enough with this process. Things were confusing before. But now I know what's what, and I know that no matter what, Donald Trump is a bad person. I mean, sure, all of the people I have realized were corrupt throughout this entire time all absolutely hate Donald Trump, but that just means everybody's corrupt because there's no way that Donald Trump is not corrupt. He must be corrupt. So these people are lying about everything except that they nailed that thing. Now, any of us being exposed to that style of thinking on that subject, anytime some uniparty left villager or mostly awake DeSantis supporter, for instance, gives us that rundown about Donald Trump, they've essentially decided that 
all the information they have gotten from a certain set of sources, whether it's media or culture, television commercials, doesn't matter, wherever the incoming information has come from, they are getting the anti-Trump information from all of those same places. But this time is different than those other times. This time, they're all telling the truth about Donald Trump. And we can know that because we see the clips of Donald Trump in the media. And when we see those, that backs up the story the media is telling us. Maybe it's something about the visual and the audio. It convinces us once again, this really is who Donald Trump is. Maybe they just succumb to the incentive and punishment structure. They think they'd be rejected by their social circle or by their intellectual peers or their co-workers or whoever. Maybe they don't want to be censored or deplatformed or debanked because they've seen it happen to other people and this just isn't their fight. But for whatever reason, they're going to draw that line somewhere. This is the thing I'm sure I'm right about. And everything I can find besides my own emotions to support that position comes from this range of sources that we have seen to be totally corrupt, totally dishonest, and acting at all times in direct opposition to our own personal good and advancement. The mainstream media does not exist to inform us. The media is advertised as being fair and balanced, very trusted, totally objective, much gravitas, but that's not actually what it does. We're told that our schools exist to teach the nation's children how to read and write and do arithmetic to begin preparing them for the adult world and creating in them an ability to participate in that world successfully, find a job, whatever. But then we also see the schools grooming children and indoctrinating them with Marxism and various other harmful ideologies. I don't think anyone doubts that the schools are exacerbating racial tensions and doing it on purpose. We know that the schools are involved directly with pushing the trans and gender agendas, including pushing the kids into adopting new identities and hiding it from the parents. And when we think about that, we should ask ourselves when we believe that started. Did it start 10 years ago? I mean, it's been building for a while, right? Did it start 20 years ago? Did it start 40 years ago or 60 years ago? Were we in school at some different part of that same process? Some less obvious, more subtle link way back on that chain? At what point? Were the things we taught in school definitely true? Were the things we were taught in school true at the same time they were telling us to hide under our desks in the event that a nuclear bomb would go off? We have conversations now about how the school shooter drills that they run in some schools and that they contemplate running in schools would be unnecessarily horrifying to children and it would warp their brains about how to think of responsible gun ownership and the second amendment in this country. We can sense that's propagandistic when we see it and hear about it, but we can't go back and apply that 40 years ago 
to when they were asking us to hide under our desks in case of nuclear war? That doesn't make any sense. I imagine you were taught about race and slavery as a distinctly American problem and a distinctly white on black problem in your schooling. I know I certainly was. Was that narrative fully true back then and now just exploitative with critical race theory? I mean, maybe the answer is yes, right? Maybe the answer is yes. Maybe we were taught an accurate history and now it's super extreme. Maybe the Marxists have infiltrated enough to have changed things over to a very extreme version, whereas the prior version was reasonable and more accurate and more balanced. Maybe that's the answer. But if that's the answer, where is the line drawn? When did it cross over from being reasonable and balanced and a true representation of a real history accurately portrayed into what it is now, which is not that at all. The fact that we know slavery still exists in the world, though we're told not in America, means that it can't be a distinctly American problem. And it can't be an exclusively white on black problem or white on anyone problem, as it turns out. It's not white cartels south of the border running that part of the slave trade. It's not exclusively white people around the world in these NGOs locating potential quote unquote migrants to come over. But I wasn't taught about any of that process in school. I wasn't taught about the slave trade way before it ever made it to this country? And what about the actual slave owners in America? Was it just all white people? What about white people whose family hadn't even moved to America when slavery was still legal? So why wasn't it more specific so that we weren't blaming an entire skin color race of people for the mistreatment of a group of people from another skin color race, especially when those groupings don't even make sense. I would suggest to you that we were taught that history in that way for exactly the same reasons that kids are being taught a distortion of that story right now. I mean, commies gonna commie, right? This is the playbook. This is what they do. This is an infiltration of a collectivist ideology seeking to replicate itself. And the further infiltrated it is, the more effective the replication. And once they've done that, once everybody believes the story as they describe it, well, then they can increase the story in whatever direction they want because they are the keepers of the story. And you'll remember, history is always written by the winners. Now, certainly we can seek out alternate histories and try to figure out which one accurately reflects some real world events and proper context of those events that describes the motivations for various parties accurately and portrays something that actually could have happened. But we can't assume that that's the version we were taught in school. So maybe we're able to find a proper set of history books and get through that history. And a lot of people devote their lives to that project and an extraordinarily important project it is. But we could go through and read the full collection of books that actually had a more proper and accurate history than the one that we're taught in school. 
Influenced by this regime, the history written by the winners described as they want it described. When the history is written by the winners, the winners are going to be the victims who then become the heroes in each one of those histories. And again, you can see this happening in real time in the real world as the fake news writes this future history. That's what it is. The fake news of now will be history a hundred years from now. And historians a hundred years from now will look back on this fake news and say, yes, that's what was happening back then. If you only get a certain chunk of the fake news now, a hundred years from now, you will think that Donald Trump was actually a Nazi leader, a white supremacist who oppressed Muslims and was responsible for trying to start a civil war in this country because he couldn't deal with losing an election because of how big his ego was. You can see them writing a false history right now before your eyes. You know that things you were taught by culture, by school, by whatever were wrong and wrong intentionally. And you can see the intention and the reason for why they would have wanted to teach you wrong things. So where in the world do you draw the line? And we are accustomed because of our schooling, because of our culture to believe that an authoritative source exists somewhere and that because we don't know everything imaginable about a subject, we need to hand off our judgment and decision making to someone deemed authoritative by the very same people who lie about everything. And so last week we were discussing various existential threats that we are told could end our lives either immediately or more long term. We discussed climate change something that will destroy everyone eventually down the road. Pandemics, which we want to avoid, but then once one happens, it can end our lives immediately. So we need to give them all the money and power when pandemics are happening and when they're not happening. So there's both a short and long-term aspect there. Similarly, AI has that short and long-term aspect, much more like a pandemic than like climate change. We talked about nukes where there is a permanent and constant threat of an immediate end to everything. So kind of like an instant pandemic and then aliens, which are meant to keep us confused about whether or not there is an existential threat. And that in itself is kind of amazing. We don't even know if the thing is real, but we assume that it might be the government won't tell us. And because they're so sneaky and shifty about it, we think, oh, they're just trying to hide the aliens. And of course, if the government is hiding them, then they must be real, which means they either are or are not a threat. But if it turns out that they are a threat, we need to immediately hand all our wealth and power and control authority over to the government to deal with it. So we have a variety of existential threats, none of which we can be certain either are real or could possibly have the impact that they describe. And of course, we don't have any reason to believe that they could have the impact described in the way they are constantly described to the public. This is John Kerry from the Aim for Climate Summit back in May. Agriculture contributes about 33% of all the emissions of the world. 
depending a little bit on how you count it, but it's anywhere from 26 to 33. And we can't get to net zero. We don't get this job done unless agriculture is front and center as part of the solution. But with a growing population on the planet, we just crossed the threshold of 8 billion fellow citizens around the world. We just crossed that in this last year. Emissions from the food system alone are projected to cause another half a degree of warming by mid-century on the current course that we are today. A two-degree future could result in an additional 600 million people not getting enough to eat. And you just can't continue to both warm the planet while also expecting to feed it. Doesn't work. So we have to reduce emissions from the food system to keep the 1.5 degrees alive. Why do we have to keep 1.5 degrees alive? Because scientists, as a basis of physics and mathematics, not ideology and politics or party labels or anything else, as a matter of physics and mathematics and some biology and chemistry have told us these are the consequences. And we already see it happening. And almost everything they've predicted for 30 plus years now is coming true, but the problem is it's coming true faster and bigger than was in fact predicted. Now, what is anyone supposed to make of that? The predictions? Always come true, but faster and bigger than predicted? Well, that's not true. No one could possibly believe that. He's explicitly claiming that the population is a problem. It's a problem because there's not going to be enough to eat. Because if the world gets too warm, then we can't feed people? That doesn't make any sense. California is a great agricultural center. It's got a considerably warmer climate than other great agricultural centers in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. If certain places were to turn into deserts or end up covered with water, which is the claim, other places would become the new farmland. The population's also not a problem. That's preposterous. We know that's a lie and we know who's telling the lie. There are plenty of probably good people out there who have believed that lie and now their lives are devoted in service of solving this problem that doesn't exist. And they don't have the slightest idea about that. What should we say of the epidemiologists who participated in the COVID scam? What do we say about the people doing the studies around the world funded by Gates and Gavi and the pharma companies? Are they quote unquote in on it? Well, maybe not. Maybe they believe that they are doing the best possible thing they could be doing in every instance and they have no doubt whatsoever about the work they're performing or the results of that work in the narrative and in changes in the public's behavior. But at some level, the systems whose performance would help us develop the trust we might have in them are also part of this exact thing that you just heard from John Kerry. Who's telling us what the future is going to hold? Why, it's the physicists, the mathematicians, maybe some biologists. They are telling us what the future is going to hold based on the mathematical models they've created. And we're all supposed to change our behavior across the board. 33% of the bad air is coming from agriculture. 
and we have too many people already. So we need to slash that, get rid of agriculture the way we do it now, because the physicists and mathematicians say the world's going to get too hot. Now, we're not all the way there by any means, but a lot of people can see that that doesn't make any sense. And the number of people who can see that has risen drastically over the last three years because we have seen a breakdown in the trust of our scientific institutions. It has become blatant and obvious that they are not to be trusted and that quite often their ranks are filled with people who think that their ideas are going to save the entire world and that they are not only allowed but empowered to override any moral concerns, any ethical concerns in order to bring their solutions into the world to solve these problems that they are certain exist even though they can't personally prove it themselves. And I want to come back to that in a second. But the complaint that I received a couple of times was, you can't say things like this. I'm beginning to doubt your credibility. Or you can't say things like this. You're going to lose credibility with other people. And to that, I say, well, okay, so what? If people are going to make credibility judgments by me calling things into doubt that neither they nor seemingly anyone else can actually prove, then I'm totally okay with that because this credibility conversation is nonsense. My credibility is not derived from me being right about every single thing. My credibility is derived from me being honest about what I see in the world and what I think about that. I am here to tell you my perspective on the patterns I pick up and I am trying to do that as truthfully as I can, understanding that I used to be wrong about all of this stuff in a very specific way. I was the person on the other side who was wrong in the way all of these people are wrong. I understand the thought process, which is why I try not to repeat the thought process now. In fact, my thought process is entirely different. I no longer give any credence whatsoever to what everybody knows as handed down from authority. It means absolutely nothing to me now. The things I learned in school that cannot be replicated in my understanding now mean nothing to me. The fact that I was taught them by a state institution that was on its way to being fully infiltrated by the communists means that I don't give priority to any of that information. I am here trying to figure out an extraordinarily complicated world and communicate it to you. And if that helps you figure out an extraordinarily complicated world, then my mission is successful because that's what I'm trying to do. I am not trying to tell you what you should think about things. So if you don't agree with my conclusions, that's just fine. If you don't agree with my conclusions a number of times and it makes you no longer want to listen to the podcast, that's fine too. I'm not here to conform to people's expectations in order to retain my audience. Most of my audience wouldn't like me if I did that. And truthfully, I wouldn't like myself. But apart from that, this conversation about credibility, especially when it's 
looking out for your credibility in the eyes of other people. Well, I don't know you and I don't know the strangers you're worried about who are going to deem me credible or not. So I'm certainly not going to cater to these groups of people. What would that even mean about me? I'm not allowed to explore certain subjects because an imaginary stranger like two levels of don't care is not going to listen to me. They're not going to take me seriously. They're not going to find me credible. Well, I don't care about that. I don't know why anyone cares about that. That is a vestige of the party of false decorum. And to the extent you have respect for that vestige, I would argue that that might be an area where your thinking is still that party of false decorum thinking. And I don't say that as someone who is claiming to be your superior in any way at all. I am just at a different part of my process than you might be of yours. But I don't worry anymore about people thinking I'm stupid. I have already experienced the most extreme possible version of people attacking my reputation and intelligence and wisdom and discernment and blah, blah, blah. I did that all through 2020 with people I actually knew, people who could influence my real life. And if I hadn't already dealt with that, I wouldn't be able to do this show in the first place. So I certainly don't care when it's a stranger that another stranger is imagining for me. The only thing I see when that is incoming is social pressure to conform to a set of beliefs that the person communicating to me finds comfortable. And I'm not interested in that either. If what I say makes you uncomfortable, either it's a problem with me or it's a problem with you. And if all you're telling me is that I shouldn't talk about some subject in a certain way because I'm going to lose credibility to other people, I'm going to assume it's a problem for you. You're worried about hearing other people say, oh, you probably believe X, Y, Z, don't you? You have this one belief. I bet you have these other beliefs. I'm going to call those beliefs stupid. And then you're going to feel stupid. And now I'm not going to take serious the other view you have. I get it. I understand that thought process. I understand that interaction. I've had that interaction countless times. But think about the beliefs of the people who think that way. Those were the people telling us in 2020 with no evidence in the history of anything that masks worked. They were the people telling us that lockdowns worked despite having never been tried and despite being so incredibly obviously the most destructive possible thing that could be done. We watched as our society's quote unquote intellectual elites had very careful and polite conversations about masks and lockdowns and school closures. They had to treat these arguments seriously and have very polite conversations with other people about these arguments. And then we wonder why those sorts of things keep happening to us as a society. We say, how can anybody believe this? How are they getting away with this? Oh, it's everybody else's fault. Oh, it is. It's everybody else, huh? If we want to progress out of these things, we need to stop listening to informational gatekeepers and stop being them ourselves. The censorship regime tried to keep those topics completely off limits. But then we had this other set of people, these very serious intellectual elites who would talk about the subjects 
but only in those very careful ways. And somehow they came out of that seeming very brave and smart and people took their side. Nobody wanted to upset anybody. No one wanted to make anyone feel uncomfortable about their beliefs. So they agreed this is as far as we should be having this conversation. They knew the boundaries of where the conversation could be considered safe. And then they stayed there. So they weren't actually challenging the publicly accepted false ideas and false narrative. They were actually supporting it by participating in that conversation at that level. There are people out there who know that masks and lockdowns didn't work and were actually really destructive, but they won't challenge the vaccine narrative or they know about the masks and the lockdowns and the vaccines, but they don't want to question whether or not it actually was a lab leak, because if it was a lab leak, that means that they were doing really dangerous science that they shouldn't have been doing, that they didn't do it very well, and that they then lied about it. So that's a tough thing to get over, isn't it? Then you've got people who know that the masks and lockdowns were a lie. The vaccines were never safe or effective and certainly weren't necessary. And that the lab leak theory is at least closer to accurate than this natural origin. But none of them want to challenge whether or not we were lied to about the existence of a virus in the first place. And I'm not saying there was no pathogen that was making people sick. I'm just saying that the tests don't work and we were lied to about the numbers and the flu disappeared. Don't we at least at some point have to question the underlying story? And if you say no, then why is it no? How are you sure that this is where we need to draw the line? And I don't suspect that that's entirely rational. It's more of just a feeling. People don't want to think that the underlying belief is false, that they could have ever been misled about that. That's what we were discussing last week. And again, maybe you're right. Maybe you know exactly where to draw the line and you have plenty of reasons. I just haven't really heard too much of that from anyone and certainly not from anyone who is expressing concerns about my credibility. You're concerned about your credibility. Who is it that you want to listen to me who's not doing it because of credibility concerns. That person doesn't exist. Are you concerned about showing my show to someone else because you're worried that they will be upset about my credibility and that will reflect badly on you? I mean, what are we talking about here? Nobody runs around worrying about Ben Shapiro's credibility and he's wrong about everything that matters. He's not only wrong about everything that matters, he's wrong about all those things in the direction the regime wants him to be wrong every time about every important issue. Are the Fox News hosts credible? The CNN hosts? The MSNBC hosts? Oh, it's just the Fox News hosts that are credible. Oh, it's just some of the Fox News hosts that are credible. Well, where do you draw the line? How do you know which ones are and which ones aren't? Do they express their doubts to you? Do they go through the information with you? Or do they tell you what to think? Do they assertively say all the right things so that you will believe those things? Is that what you find credible? Are the government agencies credible? Are the congressmen and senators credible? Oh, only the ones with ours next to their name. They're credible. Oh, but only some of them are credible. And occasionally every now and then one with a D next to their name might be credible, depending on what they're talking about and whether or not they agree with you. Right. Is that what we're talking about? Is it whether or not they agree with you? Is that what makes them credible? Are the scientists credible? The industry leaders, the global governing body heads, 
Are the professors credible? Are the historians credible? Well, no one is credible as a class. Credibility does not need to exist relative to the set of claims a person is making. The entire pretense is absurd. It assumes that there is objective information out there that you can compare certain claims to and know, okay, well, that claim doesn't correspond with the objective truth and that claim doesn't and that claim doesn't, but he has 97 other claims that do. Therefore, he has a 97% credibility score relative to this objective set of information. Therefore, credible. I mean, you're 90% of the way to being a fact checker at that point. We hear talk about how we exist now in a post-truth environment, as if prior to a few years ago, there was an objective truth that everyone could simply know. But that wasn't true. That was just marketing. And we bought into the marketing. It made it seem like it was true. The newscasters on the various TV shows were all telling us a version of the same thing. We figured the same thing must be true, regardless of the version. But none of that is required whatsoever. There's not some credibility score. There's not some test of expertise that people pass. And there shouldn't be. You shouldn't want there to be. My credibility, if I have credibility at all, and I'm not sure that anyone needs to have credibility if we understand the world as it actually is. Not as we were told it before, but as it actually is, there is no objective truth that we can draw from anywhere unless it's coming straight from God. You're certainly not getting it from your culture or from the news or from your government or from your schooling. I'm trying to explore the fact that we have been sent off into this jarring informational space where we have to do the research. We have to do the thinking. We have to make our own judgments. It was always this way. The mistake, the delusion is thinking it was ever another way. Our prior informational environment was the unnatural informational environment, not this one. This informational environment is entirely natural, which is why it corresponds to our history, to our religious teachings, to our philosophy. We are not the first people to discover the truth about the state of things. We are not the first people to discuss epistemology and the state of knowledge. There were people three years ago being told that they would not have any credibility if they discussed potential problems with any potential vaccine, while at the same time, the side of the eventual vaccine mandators was claiming that they would never take any vaccine that came out while Donald Trump was president. People were being told they couldn't discuss that stuff, that they would lose their credibility if they talked about it. You can actually watch Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in his presidential campaign right now. He always makes sure to say he's not anti-vax. He's supported vaccinations in the past. He's been vaccinated against certain things. He's had his kids vaccinated for certain things. It's not that he doesn't trust vaccines. It's only that he's concerned that they're not tested enough and that this current one was not necessary and not safe and not effective. Now, you can certainly consider any political campaign to be an info op on some level. So bake that into your understanding of the RFK Jr. thing. But he is still concerned that he is not going to be able to communicate effectively about the current vaccine unless he already extends the olive branch of saying, I know that other vaccines are totally okay. 
But does he know that? Does he believe it? Is he not allowed to talk about that subject because people are telling him that he's going to lose credibility? He's not going to be able to speak to this set of liberals that he needs to convince about the easier claim if he goes and makes the harder claim. Now, you can argue about how to approach political campaigns, but if we're having an honest intellectual discussion, that position is unsupportable. Trying to achieve credibility in someone else's eyes by refusing to tell the whole truth, express your doubts, express your skepticism is quite clearly a contradiction. You should not be trying to win credibility in someone else's eyes by deceiving them about what you believe. That should be entirely obvious, but it's not because that is an inversion within the false reality. It is a total inversion within the false reality. Here is that particular intellectual and moral truth within the false reality. Here it is. In order to establish a sense of credibility with my audience, I need to anticipate what they are afraid to hear, what they are uncomfortable hearing, what they are not prepared to believe, regardless of what I believe or what I know. And then I need to communicate to them that they are right to feel discomfort when I go anywhere close to those lines. I'm going to limit my speech to what I believe my audience is prepared to hear without discomfort. What kind of principle would that be for me to apply broadly to my approach to information? And then there is actually a potentially worse level beneath that. And here it is. We get told that there are psyops about these terrible false beliefs that we are going to fall for and that these are orchestrated tricks in order to destroy our credibility in our audience's eyes. And that's how new alternate independent media is going to be taken down. Like, oh, you guys had a really good thing going there, but you just took it a little too far in what you were interested in finding out. You realize that the regime was lying about everything, but it turns out that they weren't lying about these two things and they actually made it seem like they were so that they could make you look bad and you fell for the psyop. What a moron. Well, thank you person in the comments, letting me know that insightful claim that you have heard other people make on the internet and can't establish for yourself. Very interesting, very interesting claim, but I would respond that potentially there are worse psyops to fall for than the one you think is going to cause people like me to lose our credibility. And that would be, let's say, uh, masks, lockdowns, vaccines, mail-in ballots, fake elections, the insurrection. Look at all these psyops that everybody fell for. Did we fall for those? No, 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 no. Why? Because we collectively went through these things and analyzed them together. We shared our work with other people who were examining the same work. We shared our thoughts and beliefs in an open space where we could hear thoughtful criticism. We took time in our judgments, knowing that there was no way to be sure we were 100% right. But we had to decide to the best of our ability in each circumstance after considering as much information as we could and examining all 
possible options. And through doing that, we were able to navigate PSYOP after PSYOP after PSYOP and break some of the programming that we had all undergone over years and years. I can speak for myself and know that that's true for myself. Am I supposed to draw the line with certain information and not try to find out whether we were lied to? Is that what people actually want from people like me? It can't be. It shouldn't be. People thought I was risking my credibility last week talking about the lunar lander. Today is the 52-year anniversary of the moon rover, the little go-kart that they shot up there and then drove around. While it was beautifully photographed from afar, those pictures appearing in the New York Times. I'm going to lose my credibility for casting doubt on that? Well, okay then. I think that anyone who takes that story as true is less credible in my eyes because they're not willing to consider that something fundamental like that might just be fake, even though you have people like Stanley Kubrick saying, yeah, we faked that. But even if I was to reconsider someone's credibility in talking to me for thinking some certain thing, that doesn't mean they're stupid. It doesn't mean that we couldn't have an interesting conversation about something else. I would just say that's a reflection of some remnant of poor discernment and poor decision-making. And we all have them. I have plenty, which is why I know that I should doubt absolutely everything. Try to see it from both sides. Try to see the extreme version of both sides. What if these people are exactly right? What if they are exactly wrong? What if every piece of of what makes up their belief and understanding is wrong in a very particular way. What if each piece is wrong and the truth is the exact opposite? Okay, well, let me see what the exact opposite of all these beliefs is. Put those all together. Let me see what that picture looks like. Now, I enjoy that process. I find it absolutely fascinating. And I will put myself through those thought experiments all day and all night. If I am awake, I am probably thinking about something like that. I am trying to think about the thing and its opposite, both being true anytime, seeing what picture emerges, which means that I necessarily am going to take some of these ideas and be like, well, maybe that's not right. Let me see if there's actually a way that the opposite idea maps onto the world better. And if I determine that one does, and that we are using the wrong map, I'm probably going to say that on this show. And if that causes a credibility problem, well, then I accept that. And maybe my show is not for you. But what I'm not going to do is limit my thinking, because when you have discovered that there is a world out there of facts that were exactly the opposite of what you were taught to think and what you have always understood, the entire point of the false reality, by the way, is that they construct a fully false reality. Their version is supposed to map onto reality. It's supposed to make sense on some level. And on some level, it does. Just not when you examine any of it carefully or deeply or apply logic or morality. That's why they tell you you just have to accept it. And they punish you if you don't. And they censor people. It's so everyone just accepts the false reality because moving beyond it is simply not worth it to a lot of people. And that's very sad. Part of the false reality is convincing people that they can have a good life while doing that. But I'm not concerned about credibility in the eyes of strangers. 
And I can't be concerned about credibility in the eyes of strangers. In the same way, I'm not concerned about whether or not strangers think I'm a good person. Why would I care about a stranger's assessment of my personality and character? That doesn't make any sense. And in a world of people who are thinking for themselves, then the credibility of someone they listen to talk about politics and philosophy and culture in the eyes of a stranger shouldn't matter at all. If my car mechanic was a civil war buff, I would absolutely be more interested in his understanding of the civil war than I would be from a Harvard historian that's going to tell me about the civil war from a critical race theory perspective. And someone with the mindset we're talking about would be like, <laughs> you're listening to a car mechanic over a Harvard history professor. <laughs> well, okay. Now I'm not credible because you find my source not credible, but you're credible and know who the credible sources are. This stuff makes no sense to me and it's not productive. It's not useful. I'm not here to tell you what to think. We're trying to figure out what the hell is going on in an extraordinarily complicated world. And one of the absolute keys to being able to do that is being willing to look at some of the claims we imagine must be true and considering that they might not be, especially if everything that leads us to believe in the initial claim came from all of these sources that we know lie to us about everything. I'm not here to tell you what to believe. I'm not here to tell you what the ultimate truth is. I'm not even here to pretend that I know or maybe even could know. But I am here to tell you that if you think there are things about the regime's official story and central narrative that you can't doubt, those are the things everyone should immediately begin doubting. Imagine what would have happened if the PSYOP, by the way, three years ago to convince us that we're not allowed to question the integrity of our elections. Otherwise, we are destroying democracy. Imagine that PSYOP worked. Imagine that everyone who's talking about election fraud had just not done it. We'd all gone the way of CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and The Daily Wire, and all, each and every one of the DeSantis simps, where would we be on the issue of election fraud? Election fraud would still exist in the world. There would still be people out there trying to prove its existence. And at some point, it might be necessitated that that entire thing would have to flip over completely, creating a great deal more turmoil in the world than would be created for it flipping over now. There were people telling everyone not to talk about election fraud, laughing in our faces for talking about it, despite the fact that there is no one in the entire world who can or ever has proved that Joe Biden got 81 million real lawful American votes. Proving that is not possible. Yet we were told we were going to lose our credibility if we talked about that subject and said that very claim even though it is a logically and rationally unassailable claim, we were told we were going to lose credibility for saying it. 
No one in the world, I will repeat, no one in the world has ever proved or could possibly ever prove that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. It's not possible because that proof does not exist in the world. And if it did, then they should have let people check. They didn't. If everyone focused on remaining credible in the eyes of an imaginary stranger at the second degree, would we be having the cultural awakening that we're having relative to our stolen elections? Would people be making the push to fix our elections? Or would everyone be calling Donald Trump the greatest threat to democracy since blah, 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 blah? You know, just as the regime wants. They're proving to you that that's what they want. They deny it on the uniparty left and they deny it on the uniparty right. Our elections being safe and secure is what allows the DeSantis simps to say that Donald Trump lost and that Carrie Lake lost. You can certainly imagine what life would be like if everybody believed that way. And that's exactly what would have happened if everyone stopped talking about it because of claims on their credibility. And it's important to understand the directionality of these claims. The burden is not on me to quote unquote prove election fraud of a certain degree when the other side cannot prove that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. It's not my job to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that something whose existence I call into question or the narrative around the existence I call into question is absolutely definitely fake. If the people telling me it's absolutely definitely real are lying about multiple elements of it. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about this before, but it's not actually possible to prove the non-existence of anything. And as we've seen with the election debate, the people demanding that style of proof and failing to understand who actually has the burden of proof in this situation there is no level of proof that you can lay out that is going to convince them. They will continue to say, you're not proving it. You're not proving it. You're not proving it. You could be supplying overwhelming proof, direct evidence, logic, net effects in the real world. You could be supplying countless arguments and they will not accept any of them until they are told by the television and the sources they deem to be authoritative that your position is right. People who are not independent thinkers will wait for someone else to say something is true before they are willing to believe it themselves. Now, we can all be that way on many levels about a great many things. This is not some judgment about anyone's character. We all have these tendencies. But we should try as hard as we can to let go of that tendency. You are the one, the only one who can decide your standard for belief. You do not need the approval of an authority to believe as you do. And you already experience that about a great many topics. An entire range of thoughts and beliefs in your life are yours and yours alone, decided by you. They don't change based on other people's feelings about your belief. Just apply that to everything. You are free to believe whatever you want about any subject you want. If you are convinced that something is one way, you're allowed to believe that. You might be right. You might be wrong. 
it might just be an opinion, but you're allowed to have that thought in your head and you're allowed to stick to it under whatever circumstances you want. It's okay to have beliefs that other people don't agree with. It's okay to have beliefs that you can't prove to other people and that you might not even be able to fully explain to other people. It's not actually the purpose of life to figure out what the correct belief is in any given circumstance. You can think I'm wrong to question the existence of nuclear weapons. There are plenty of people out there who will side with you on that question, but you might want to ask them about what they think about every other subject before you figure out whether or not they're credible, because it's possible that they might have the right view on nukes, according to you, but then be wrong about, you know, masks or election fraud. They might claim that the government has never censored anyone, and they might think that claims of child grooming are totally overblown. So in that circumstance, who's credible? I mean, they have the approved belief about nukes, but they're wrong about all that other stuff. I mean, what game are we playing here? And how can anyone win that? Honestly, where do people draw the line? And why should I respect the line people are drawing? Why should I respect the line society is drawing when I know specifically that society draws that line to make sure people don't figure out all the things they're not supposed to know? Which things are those? Well... It's all the subjects they censor all the time. And with all that in mind, let's look at some of the election fraud stuff, right? So even some of the people who will admit there's no way Joe Biden got 81 million real lawful American votes. They know something was wrong, but they say, well, you got to let it go because the courts decided that there was no widespread fraud. And I know that there were messed up things about the election, but if there was no widespread fraud, according to the courts, then we have to let it go. You know, it doesn't matter that they change laws outside the Constitution and that the courts have overturned that. It doesn't matter that there were clearly problems like ballot harvesting and registration issues and machine issues, all these election day issues. And then, of course, there was interference from the media with the intelligence community and the FBI. But the courts made these decisions and we're just going to have to let it go or else we're going to risk losing our credibility. Now, those people have been no help whatsoever. Those people have actually supported the regime with their actions while believing that their intent is to preserve America. But all they did in actuality was attempt to preserve their own credibility. Because they knew that crossing that line would get them exiled from the party of false decorum. So when you are in that mindset, responding to those incentives and that punishment structure, you cut yourself off from doing the thing that is actually right and true. And that's the only thing that matters, everybody. You can't say, I have to make sure that I preserve my credibility and my public reputation Otherwise, I won't be able to do the right thing in the future. That doesn't make sense. I know people who want to get extraordinarily wealthy so that someday they can be philanthropists and solve the world's problems. But first, they personally need to become extraordinarily wealthy and powerful. And because they're going to heal the world in the future, they can actually do whatever they want, whatever they need to become wealthy and powerful right now. 
They want moral credit for it, too, because they are the ones who are actually going to save us in the future. So they should be praised now and encouraged now. Otherwise, what's the point? We forgo the truth so that we can hold on to the reputation. Now, there are people who didn't draw the line there. And thank goodness there are people who talk about election fraud on a number of levels. But then they still draw the line. Where do they draw the line? You've already thought of it, haven't you? They draw the line before the machines. Now, why would someone do that? Well, they've probably been told that the claims about the machines are going to destroy their credibility. They can't talk about Hammer and Scorecard. Do they know that Hammer and Scorecard is not involved with machine manipulation of our elections? No, they don't know that. Do I know that it is? Nope, I don't. I suspect that it is. I have every reason to believe that it is, especially with the way the narrative operates around it. But I don't know. I can't tell you that conclusively. And I certainly can't evidence to you so that you would change another belief to my belief, which is why I don't try to do that. But I'm also not going to ignore it. And I'm not going to tell other people to stop looking at it because I want the information. If I'm focused on something else and other people are focused on the machine stuff, then I can actually look at their information and think, "Uh uh-huh, that's interesting. That does seem to indicate that the machine theory is more valid. I don't just have to adopt their view about something. I take their information and add it into my understanding. But I don't do that if I've cut myself off from the machine discussion because somebody worried on my behalf that I would lose credibility in the eyes of an imaginary stranger at the second degree. Even amongst the general broader truth community, claims about Hammer and Scorecard, claims about Dennis Montgomery, well, that's just pushing it too far. Even people who know that the machines are a problem draw the line somehow before that point. Now, are they right to do that? Hey, maybe I just don't know why that's the place to draw the line. And I'm not sure they do either. I think it's because that's where they imagine the boundary of credibility is. But what if the machine people, the machine maximalists, let's call them, are right about the whole thing and a whole bunch of people don't know it and can't support the case because they didn't pay attention to it at all for three years, despite the fact that it's the most important part. You see, if we fix every other issue except the machines and the machine maximalists are right, then we have fixed a grand total of zero issues in the election, fixing it 99% is not fixing it 100%. And if that last remaining 1% that everybody thinks is irrelevant is actually the most important thing and no one knows it because everybody was busy preserving their credibility, well, then we have a future of stolen elections to look forward to. And it would be our fault for prizing our credibility in the eyes of second degree imaginary strangers over the usurpation of our country. And since that is relatively easy to understand, and I think that you'll all at least see where I'm coming from, the next step is to understand that there is a genuine regime incentive and punishment structure attached to preserving the narrative that the machines are not the problem and certainly not in that way. If the regime can still pull off election fraud through the machines, and it might not work at the presidential level, 
but it might work in local communities all around the country for local officials who could then start this cycle again. Maybe they have to scale back 10 or 15 or 20 years because of the new election process he's put in place. But if that's all it is, and those machines can still get local politicians elected for the next five years or 10 years until people forget about all this stuff and move on and get lazy again, well, then the regime has preserved their election theft system long term to the detriment of everyone. So there is actually a key motivation to explain why the regime might set up an incentive and punishment structure around claims about the machines. If we then prize our credibility over the truth claim itself and getting to the bottom of election fraud so we can rid it completely, then we have left the problem in place to preserve our own standing among people who were wrong about the most important thing. Now, again, I don't know everything. I don't know close to everything. I might even be wrong about some very, very important things. But what I'm trying to do is not be wrong in a particular way because I have believed without thinking and without evidence what was handed down to me from authority and then preserved through an incentive and punishment structure based around my reputation, my social standing, my credibility. I have seen through that process inside and out in the most peak possible environment, which is Hollywood and social media at the highest levels at the same time. If you want to make sure that everyone falls in line and supports a wholly false narrative just to preserve their reputation, look at the entertainment industry. I was going to say, go on out there and give it a shot, but you don't even need to do that because it's so obvious. Build your credibility by thinking clearly and rationally and telling someone why you believe what you believe. Get information, consider alternate information, do that consistently, and people will understand that you're doing that. Build your credibility around being consistently correct, not in each and every factual claim, but in your moral judgments and in your conclusions. We have not yet reached and will never reach the point where we are no longer wrong about things. There are no more things we could possibly be wrong about. We are never going to reach that point. It should be one of our primary concerns to make sure that we're not clinging to information that we believe we know for sure, even though we don't. It's our job to figure out and recognize where we might be wrong, where our assumptions don't stand up to close scrutiny. We should be especially conscious of all the beliefs we have that we have never questioned. And here's an example from what's going on right now. You might have actually heard about this story over the last few days because there has been a big push by Ron DeSantis people and on behalf of the GOP establishment and elites to claim that close Trump advisors admitted under oath that they knew and Donald Trump knew that claims of election fraud were not true. That story has been going around all over the place, and it is not remotely true. They say in order to make this claim stick that Jason Miller, Bill Stepien and Hope Hicks were President Trump's closest advisors 
at the end of his first term and would have been then in a position to know that he knew the election fraud claims were false. Now, that is already a huge problem because none of those are Trump's closest advisors, particularly not with the multiple national emergency situation throughout 2020 relative to COVID and relative to the stolen election that is real, no matter what the television says, nor what you believe about the status of the various election fraud claims. Donald Trump as president, as a stated wartime president, knew the answers to these questions. He was the one dealing with these issues and his comms people were certainly not his closest advisors at the time. And even if they were on some level, they still wouldn't have been on issues surrounding election fraud. It is entirely possible that a great many people close to Donald Trump in the political sense were not anywhere close to him when it came to anything to do with COVID or election fraud or a range of other issues that have to do with the crimes of the deep state and the coup launched against the nation. We do not just need to accept the mainstream narrative about Donald Trump in this situation. We know that they are leaving out the rest of it. Beyond all that, nothing in the video being shown, which is, by the way, a context-free series of clipped-out segments of testimony to the entirely illegitimate sham J six committee that was not properly formed according to the rules of Congress. So we have testimony from an improperly formed congressional committee chopped up with the context removed and the people in the video talk about how they didn't think there was much chance that this or that would win. Well, we needed to get two out of these three States and we thought there was maybe a five or 10% chance that was possible. Jason Miller is talking about what the reported results were and whether or not the reported results would change. Why would the reported results change? The reported results are what we are disputing. We can grant that the reported results show that Trump lost. Nobody's denying that. We're denying that the reported results accurately reflect the will and intent of the American voter. The fact is that even if all three people had said specifically that they believe Donald Trump knew that he did not win the election, that still would say nothing about the underlying claim. They tried the same thing a couple of months ago with Tucker and the Fox News hosts in the Dominion case. They focused on some text messages that didn't say the thing they claimed rather than the Dominion side of the discovery that shows Dominion knew its machines couldn't produce reliable results and were open to manipulation. We're just seeing the same story come around again, and people are trying to exploit it. They're trying to use it, but it's not true. The video doesn't show what they're claiming the video shows, and even if it did, it would not change the underlying claim. Election fraud did or did not happen. Joe Biden received 81 million plus real lawful American votes or he didn't. The fact is that he didn't, but the fact about whether he did or didn't has nothing to do with what Trump's advisors think about Trump's mindset in late 2020. Jason Miller, Bill Stepien, Hope Hicks, 
their comments have no bearing whatsoever on whether or not election fraud occurred. There is nothing that they can say that changes the underlying truth. And the underlying truth is all that matters. And if all that wasn't enough, then you also have to remember that this footage has existed for at least eight months, if not much longer. So why is it coming out now in this form? It certainly is not proof that our election was free and fair, safe and secure, and that the reported results reflect the will and intent of the American voter. It proves no such thing. It does not even suggest those things. All it shows is people who know Donald Trump and have worked for Donald Trump talking about what they understood at the end of 2020 relative to the election. Now, we were also told last week that Rudy Giuliani admitted in a court case that he knew the elections were a lie as well. That is not true. And he didn't just suddenly burn down his career's worth of credibility to end some minor litigation. The filing simply says that for the purposes of resolving this litigation, we will assume that Rudy's statements are false. But again, even if everything they presented about that situation was true, it still would not affect the underlying claim about whether or not election fraud happened. You might think differently of Rudy Giuliani's honesty or integrity or credibility, but it wouldn't change the status of the underlying claim. It is either true or not true that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes, and it is not true. No one can prove it. That's why it's not proven. That's why they don't let anyone check. That is the only claim that matters. It does not matter what Jason Miller and Hope Hicks and Bill Stepien say. It doesn't matter what Rudy Giuliani says. All that matters is whether or not the underlying claim is true. You can't use any of those other claims to prove the underlying claim true or false. Yet we have media figures and influencers on the uniparty left and the uniparty right, both agreeing that Jason Miller's comments prove that Trump was lying about the 2020 election and is still lying. It should be rather obvious to see in that situation who exactly is lying. Then we have this from yesterday in CNN. Trump ally Carrick will meet with special counsel in about a week, attorney tells CNN. This is Bernie Carrick, former New York police commissioner. He is reported to be meeting with special counsel Jack Smith in the coming days to discuss efforts taken by former Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani to investigate potential election fraud in the wake of the 2020 election. And this is coming from Carrick's attorney, Tim Parlator. He was interviewed by CNN's Paula Reed, and he said that the special counsel's office will be meeting with Carrick and his lawyers in about a week, and they will get into the core, end quote, of the intentions, this is according to CNN, of the intentions behind Trump and Giuliani's unfounded claims of voter fraud. Did Carrick say that? No, that's CNN editorializing the comments of Carrick's attorney. We have a meeting scheduled in about a week with the special counsel's office to talk about a lot of the efforts that the Giuliani team was taking at the time to investigate fraud. And that's really going to get into, you know, the core of whether they can charge somebody with having corrupt intent. 
Parlator said. Now, does that sound anything like CNN just described it? Here's what they said again. The special counsel's office will meet with Carrick and his lawyers, quote, in about a week, end quote, and will, quote, get into dot, 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 the core, end quote, of the intentions behind Trump and Giuliani's unfounded claims of voter fraud. Those two sentences could not be more different. They don't mean the same thing at all. Parlator even specifically said the core of whether they can charge someone with having corrupt intent. Now, from the perspective of the mainstream media and the central narrative and incorporated now in the understanding of all the standard issue villagers still reading this slop and nonsense and repeating it to others, Rudy Giuliani said last week in this court filing that he was lying. Trump's closest advisors know that Trump was lying. And now this is setting it up to make it seem like Bernie Carrick is going to go tell Jack Smith that he knew Rudy was lying and Trump was lying, just like all these people are saying. So Trump really was trying with corrupt intent to overturn the results of the 2020 election, knowing that the election was free and fair, safe and secure, and that the reported results reflected the will and intent of the American voter. That is the belief they've built up but absolutely no part of that is true in any way. Think about how insane that is. And these are the credible people. CNN has previously reported on Carrick's intention to meet with the special counsel's office. Carrick's meeting comes after he turned over documents to the special counsel's office connected to the debunked voter fraud claims made by Trump and Giuliani, including affidavits claiming widespread quote unquote irregularities and shoddy statistical analyses claiming proof of quote-unquote fraudulent activities. None of that has been debunked. Those affidavits are from real American citizens, thousands of them, who witnessed proof of election fraud firsthand. They're not lying. I don't know if you had a strange experience when you went to vote, but I sure did. I followed every claim of election fraud in 2020. I watched it happen. I saw the maladministration of my own voting process, and I watched it again in 2022 as well. Carrick worked alongside Giuliani in the weeks after the 2020 election to search for evidence of fraud that could have shifted the results of the election in Trump's favor. Carrick had previously shielded some documents from Congress and federal investigators on attorney client privilege grounds before he ultimately turned over the documents earlier this month. And again, they're framing that as that somehow being shady behavior on Carrick's part, but it's not. The legal system allows for those challenges. The government can't just make you give them whatever they want at any time. What a terrible country that would be if the government was just like, hey, you know what? I got to see your phone. I think you might have done something. I'm going to have to see your phone. People might actually realize at that point that something is wrong. But if you're going to realize right now they're already doing that, they just don't actually need to take your phone from you and they're not going to ask for your permission. But CNN frames this as Carrick being guilty because he didn't immediately hand over everything he had. You have to first assume that there is a real crime here and that the people involved in the crime are trying to obstruct it. But there is no real crime here, and they keep telling you that. 
Parlator said it would be imbecilic, that's in quotes, and incredibly stupid, also in quotes, for the special counsel to issue an indictment against Trump before meeting with Kerrick, arguing a rushed indictment would play into an argument Trump has repeatedly made on the campaign trail that the multiple investigations targeting him constitute election interference. When you have something like this, to bring an indictment before you've finished your investigation, for whatever reason they may choose to do it, it feeds directly into the Trump campaign narrative about all this being, you know, about election interference. And so I think it would be incredibly stupid for them to go forward with indicting before they finish their investigation, Parlator said. And again, it's worth noting that CNN describes the context of the comments by clipping out one word and then two words before showing the comment in full that defeats the context and the framing they just proposed. It is blatant dishonesty right in your face. But standard issue villagers reading that will think, oh, yeah, it does sound like Carrick's involved in some kind of cover up. And we know that he must be because we know that Rudy was lying. That's what he said, even though that's not what he said. And it corresponds to what these people very close to Trump have said as well, even though it's not what they said. So we have level after level after level of this. None of the claims anywhere are true, but all of them together build an entirely plausible story if you are attached to the false reality and not engaged with the empirical observable reality at all. All of this stuff actually maps onto the false reality understanding of who Donald Trump is and whether or not election fraud happens in our country. If you are wrong about those two things, the rest of this makes complete and total sense. But in the real world, it doesn't stand up to even the smallest amount of scrutiny, nor does it make any sense. And even if they had nailed down that part fully, it still wouldn't mean what they're saying it means. Now, the funny thing is, if you are one of those people who knows that the 51 former intelligence officials letter was nonsense, that the censoring of the New York Post article by social media was the regime rigging the system. You know, ballot harvesting happened. You know, there are all sorts of irregularities out there. You know, they did a lot of shady stuff that you've also been told was totally legal. And you think that means it's all therefore okay because our politicians are legitimate and this is just what the law says. If you believe all that stuff and you told people that they would lose their credibility for exploring beyond that, even though you know something is deeply, gravely wrong with our elections, you will still accept this central narrative framing of this entire story and think Rudy's bad and Trump's bad and that none of this is ever going to get resolved. And the fact is, Trump keeps making these claims, which is making the situation worse. And bingo, bango, you are right where the regime wants you. You're doing and saying everything the regime wants you to say while you believe that you care about the election fraud issue and that you deeply understand it. All of this is made possible only because people claimed that others were going to lose credibility if they explored the issue any further and people stopped. Do you really want us to stop exploring whether or not viruses are real? You might think there's a very, very tiny chance that people who think viruses are fake are right. Maybe you think it's 1% or 2%. Not that you're in any position to judge that whatsoever, but maybe you think it's a really, really small chance that something like that could have been a lie. But here's the thing. 
If it was a lie, it is one of the most important things for us to overturn, just like the election fraud, just like a range of other issues. Do you really want us to stop pursuing the truth about the most important things? And you might say, well, those aren't the important things because you're just falling for this psyop. Well, that might be true, except if you're wrong, then you have completely ignored one of the most important things. And so you want me to trust you about where the line is when you're telling me the line is where everyone else says it is. You're telling me the line is where imaginary strangers say it is. Come on. I'm not going to do that. And thank goodness that other people don't do it either or else we would be in real trouble. I suspect you'll see Rudy Giuliani come through all of this with his integrity intact. He was the guy over there investigating Ukraine, wasn't he? Was all that Ukraine stuff true? Yep, sure was. Isn't that awfully strange for a guy who would then go and lie about election fraud? We're just going to pretend that him bringing down the five families in New York never happened. And hey, if Rudy knows that the mainstream media just told everyone that Rudy knows Trump's claims about the election were false. Why is Rudy still out there making the same claims he was making before? He's not out there disavowing those claims. Rudy may well be the mastermind behind this entire RICO approach. If I am correct in believing that is what we are witnessing. Could Rudy do any of this if he was primarily concerned about his credibility? No, we would never get anywhere on these important issues if everyone shut up as soon as someone admonished them for risking their credibility in the eyes of imaginary strangers. Another person who has faced the brunt of that is Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. The Texas legislature is trying to impeach him, including Texas establishment Republicans. The Texas judiciary made it impossible for him to pursue his election fraud cases and prosecutions properly. But he didn't roll over concerned about his credibility. He stayed in the fight. And over the weekend, he tweeted this election integrity and the great principles of free, fair and transparent elections are my number one priority. Harris County has sued the state to block SB 1750 and to protect its failed election administrator, Clifford Tatum when no one can reasonably dispute that Harris County's November 22 election was plagued by debilitating administrative blunders and blatant election code violations. With the court challenges to the election results finally moving forward next week, we will find out what really happened in Texas's largest county this past November. Houstonians deserve to know. And Houston is Harris County, which is why he mentions that. That is the attorney general of the state of Texas talking about how it is indisputably true that the elections just this past fall were subject to, quote unquote, debilitating administrative blunders and, quote unquote, blatant election code violations. Now, you might just be hearing that tweet and you might not have paid much attention to election challenges from 2022, even though they are still open in Texas and Arizona and elsewhere. But this isn't just breaking news. This isn't spontaneously erupting news this weekend. This stuff has been known. 
Paxton has talked about it before. I've played clips of Paxton talking about it on this show. This isn't a conspiracy theory. The fraud is not a myth. It is real. It is constant. It is everywhere. Harris County is not an outlier because fraud occurred there. Election malfeasance occurred there. It's an outlier because the challenges to it have made it this far. It most likely would not be an outlier if everyone was talking about election fraud all the time because they prioritized the proof in front of their eyes over the fact that the TV and the authoritative sources haven't admitted to it yet. If everyone had the confidence in their own beliefs to be called stupid by stupid people, we would be a lot further along in this process. It's real easy to simply let go of that. And that is exactly what we need to do if we want to get to the place we can get to, which is the broadest, most effective, most open-minded possible sense of awakening we can achieve. The goal is to rid ourselves of all of this brainwashing, because after that, we can actually begin to make responsible, well-considered, reality-based decisions about everything in our lives, knowing that we are not prioritizing information we received a long time ago from authority, knowing that we're not over-prioritizing our reputation and our image to other people, particularly when they're people we don't know. Because this stuff is not ultimately about, like, getting Republicans elected. So silly. And it's not about Trump either, although Trump is a necessary part of the process. People are going to have to understand at some point that Trump won in 2020. Trump represents the vast majority of this country. And people are going to have to accept that if they're going to call their vote important and they're going to talk to us about the importance of elections and the importance of election integrity, then they actually need to live it. And live it means... That you do what's best for the country. You don't make your decisions based on how you feel emotionally on someone's tweets. People don't want to swallow the Trump pill. I get it, but it's got to happen. It is a step on the road toward that awakening. It is a necessary step. Everyone's going to just have to get through it or you're not going to make it. And hey, not everybody has to. That's all good. I mean, choose your own adventure. But if you want to go all the way, if you want to get down that road and see what lies beyond, then we can't stop ourselves because we're overly concerned about the opinions of second degree imaginary strangers. Now, before I go, just a little update on what you're going to see over the course of the next few weeks with this show. I am going to be spending some time on the road and then I have a family event a couple of weeks from now. So my schedule is going to be a little bit touch and go, a little bit inconsistent. I'm not going to get shows up five days a week. It might be three. It might be four. Maybe I end up with a bonus episode on the weekend. I'll be around for most of my Badlands stuff, but the timing on the shows is going to be a little off. Some of them are going to go up later in the day. I'll try to do some long episodes and get all the news in. And there might be some shorter ones mixed in there as well. I'm also trying to get myself back to a point where I am writing a whole lot more. And so I'm going to be working on that over the coming weeks and months. So if you detect little changes, you can give me your feedback about them. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to react too much to that. But I just want to let you know that things are going to be a little inconsistent over the next two or three weeks. 
So don't get worried. I'm not abandoning you or the show or anything like that. And I hope to keep as close to my normal schedule as I can, knowing that that's probably going to be impossible in general. I will try to keep everyone apprised of how that's going, when you can expect things, when not. If you're following me on Truth Social or Telegram or Twitter X, then you will know generally when to expect things. Until then, I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hot!